What type of person is Christianity for? I want you to try to picture yourself in Loughborough Town Centre. There you are. Let's say you're by that great piece of art, the Sock Man. And picture the people who are passing by you. Imagine the crowd you see. There are children and teenagers and the middle-aged and the elderly. There are people from different ethnic groups and different nationalities. Uh, Picture the different styles people are dressed in. Sure you can do that, can't you? Picture all those different clothes you see people wearing and the styles that they have. Um, Many are rushing by, looking busy. Some are loitering around, nothing much to do. Some are smart, some are scruffy. Which are most likely to become Christians? What type of person is Christianity for? Are you the type of person Christianity's for? Well, in Luke 5, which was read to us earlier, we find Jesus being complained to. And he's being complained to because he's mixing with the wrong type of people. And he's questioned about this. But Jesus didn't feel the need to fit with their expectations. He didn't give an excuse for himself. No, he gave a reply that told what type of person Christianity is for. But more than that, it tells us why Jesus came and it tells us why you and I need him. You find it in Luke chapter 5 verse 32. So if you want to, you could turn to that and you'll find page numbers and some notes to show what we're doing on the back of the pink sheet. Luke chapter 5 verse 32, or you could just see it on the screen behind us. Jesus said, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Actually, I'll read the verse before as well. Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. What did Jesus mean? Well, let's find out by going through the big words of this verse. I'm going to pick out big words of this verse and go through them one by one. First of all, righteous. I have not come to call the righteous. Jesus said he didn't come for the righteous. What does righteous mean? It means right. Just knock the second syllable off. It means right. But it means right according to God's standards. Jesus didn't come for the righteous. Doesn't God care about righteousness? Yes, he does. God demands righteousness. God himself is righteous. But the problem is, none of us, left to ourselves, are righteous. None of us are right according to God's standards. And so to make up for not being righteous, to make up for our lack of righteousness, we tend to put on a fake righteousness, a show righteousness. Basically the same thing as virtue signalling. Have you heard of virtue signalling? Members of parliament and celebrities get accused of virtue signalling. And in every culture, people have a way of virtue signalling. A way to show, look at me, I'm righteous. It's different in different cultures. So, in the Victorian culture, 150 years ago, it was dressing respectably. I wonder which of us would have been considered righteous by Victorian standards. By the look of it, none of us, I think. Dressing respectably. And women making sure their ankles weren't showing. 
It was signalling, look, I'm a righteous person. You can see it by the way I'm dressed. It's nothing like that in our society, is it? In Western culture today, it's keeping your carbon footprint down and doing your recycling and tweeting to show your support for a right-on cause. That's virtue signalling. It's saying, look, I'm righteous. In church culture, let's get closer to home, it's attending regularly and talking the right sort of talk about the Lord's goodness to me and praying good prayers at the prayer meeting and the Christian books you read and maybe have on your bookshelf so any visitor can see them. Now, notice most of those things I've said, possibly all of them, I don't know about covering your ankles, are good things in themselves. But the problem is when they're used to persuade ourselves and others that we are righteous. We can even use talk about Jesus to make ourselves feel we're not people in desperate need of Jesus. We're not those people who they obviously need him. So are you virtue signalling? It's easy to see people in a different culture doing it. It's easy to see the politicians doing it. But in the culture relevant to you, are you virtue signalling, giving the signal, look at me, I am righteous? Do you have a show righteousness? Why does Jesus say he doesn't come for such people? Because God sees right through it. God sees through it. Children here, listen to this. When I was a child, one Sunday morning, I woke up very early. What should I do with myself? When I was awake and no one else was awake. Now, in those days, I had a long, bright ginger fringe. And I thought, I know what I'll do. I'll trim my fringe. So I trimmed it. And it wasn't quite straight. So I trimmed it again. And it still wasn't straight. So I trimmed it again. And it still wasn't straight. And then I thought, oh dear. I don't think I'm supposed to do this. So I grabbed handfuls of bright ginger hair and put them in my drawers, hid them under the clothes and played with my Lego for a while until everyone got up. And when everyone got up, my parents said to me, what have you been doing? I said, well, just playing with my Lego, which I'm afraid wasn't true. But it didn't matter. The hair was safely hidden in the drawers. They wouldn't know. Of course they knew. It was as plain as the non-fringe on my forehead. All my efforts to hide it Useless, seen through. And all our efforts that are show righteousness are useless, seen through. As plain as the fringe on your forehead, God sees what we're really like. God sees behind the show. Now the trouble is, we often don't see through it. We often get taken in by our own show. We often think there's no problem need solving. We think... We're righteous. And did you know that there are people Jesus said he did not come for? Who did he not come for? People who insist they are righteous. People who insist they are good enough, they don't need him. Jesus said, I did not come to call the righteous. Well then, who did he come for? Let's get back to Luke 5 verse 32. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus said he came for sinners. What's a sinner? Well, we all have a vague idea. It's a bad person. But let's be more accurate. The Bible says a sinner, has a very clear definition of a sinner, it's someone who has broken God's laws. 
Someone who's broken God's laws. Now, this is going to sound off topic, but it isn't. So listen to this. Sometimes when I'm working down here in the church and there's no one else around and it's silent, you can hear a sound like a very quiet, quick drum roll coming from the trees out the back there. It sounds like a very quiet, quick drum roll. Do you know what it is? Oh, it's gone up already. (laughs) It's hoping for a bit of suspense. It's a woodpecker. It's a woodpecker in the tree. And the woodpecker, children, you know about woodpeckers? Woodpeckers peck at the tree so hard, the deceleration when they hit the, when their beak hits the tree is so great, it puts massive forces on their brains. And scientists wondered, how do they not damage their brains and kill themselves? Hitting the tree with their beak that hard and that fast. And they discovered that the woodpecker has four shock absorbers that, that carefully protect its brain. And these four shock absorbers are so effective that they've been copied for black boxes in planes. You know the things that record the flight? And they come under tremendous pressure when the flight crashes. How are they to be kept safe? They copied the shock absorbers in the woodpecker's brain. I got that out of New Scientist magazine. And the woodpecker needs to have all four shock absorbers Plus it needs a long tongue, because otherwise what's the point of pecking the tree if you haven't got a long tongue to get out the insects? It needs to have all... What's this got to do with the subject? Ah, this. Did all of this come about by chance? Bit by bit, by chance? If you think about it, one bit on its own would be no good. Two bits without the other would be no good. Did it all come about bit by bit, by chance, or was it designed? The world is full of evidences it's designed by God. And that means it belongs to God. And that means he rules. And that means we must recognise him as our king. And that means we must obey his laws. And that means we are all sinners because we haven't. So when Jesus says he came for sinners, in a sense it means he came for everyone. But, he says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. He's meaning people who know they're sinners. People who face up to it, they're sinners. And you can see that in what Jesus had just said before in the previous verse. Let's have a look at the previous verse, verse 31. Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, But the sick, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Can you see the illustration that he's drawing of people who know they're sick and they need a doctor compared with people who insist they're all right, they don't need a doctor. They're all right, they don't need Jesus, is the parallel. Now, I expect we've all met people like this. People today. Why do people today mutter? Why don't people talk up? And you say, maybe you need a hearing aid. Pardon? Maybe you need a hearing aid. No, I don't need a hearing aid. It's just people today, they just all mutter. They don't speak up. Now, you know a person like that is going to stay hard of hearing, aren't they? Yeah, because they just won't face it. The problem's in them and their hearing. People who won't face it stay hard of hearing. And people who insist they're not sinners, there's no problem with them, they stay away from Jesus and they will stay sinners. But Jesus came so that we wouldn't stay sinners. 
So let's move on to the third big word. We had righteous, we had sinners, and now we have repentance. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. What's repentance? It simply means turning. Turning from sin to God. It means turning from our attitude of, I'm okay, I don't need this Jesus I'm hearing about, to, I'm not okay, I do need this Jesus. Turning from, ah, don't make such a fuss, no one's perfect, a little bit of sin is no big deal, to, this does matter, and I need to be forgiven. Turning. Now, I hope you can see from that description of turning that forgiveness isn't turning over a new leaf and improving yourself. Because it's not just turning from sin, it's turning to Jesus. I need him. I need forgiveness through him. I don't turn and make up for the past. I can't make up for it. I need simply forgiveness. Now, to try to illustrate this, here's a story I was told when I was younger, and I'm not clear if it's true or if it was just told me to make me obey parents. I heard it actually in a church, so it ought to be true, but I'm not sure if it is. The story was that a mother was out walking with her young son, and they'd been playing with a field, in a field when the little boy started running towards the end of the field. And at the end of the field, there was a train line, and he started running towards this train line. And the mother called to him, stop, turn round, come back here. But he thought it was just another game and carried on playing, and ran onto the train line. And the story didn't get finished. I didn't get told what happened to him. It was left to your imagination. He just thought it was a game. The mother said, stop, turn round, come here to me. But to him it was just a game. And onto the train line he went. And verse says Jesus came to call sinners to repentance. That mother called, stop, turn round and come here. Jesus came to call us, stop, because the way you're going, well, Jesus warned. One of the ways he called was to warn. He warned, your sin is leading you to God's judgment. It will spoil your life here and now, but it will also bring you to God's judgment eternally. Because Jesus spoke about hell more than anyone else in the Bible. And like that mother with her son, stop, turn round and come to me, Jesus calls us, stop heading in that direction, turn round and come to me. That's what repentance is. And like that mother, Jesus was deadly serious. And I'm telling you his deadly serious message. I'm not just giving a talk because, you know, it'd be a bit odd, wouldn't it, to come to church and no talk this week. I'm not just giving a talk because you expect a talk. I'm giving you Jesus' deadly, serious call. You need to stop, turn round, and come to him. Jesus came into the world to call sinners to repent. Let's move on to the fourth big word in the verse, but it's actually the smallest word in the verse. It's the first word in the verse, but it's the biggest in importance, so we're going to end with it. What's the first word in the verse? I. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. 
Everything depends on who this person is who's calling us to repent. So we must end with him. This is from Luke's Gospel. Luke began his Gospel by telling us who this Jesus is. Luke begins his writings with people waiting. What are they waiting for? They're waiting for God's promised king. God has promised the greatest king. Beyond an ordinary human king. Luke tells us he's the son of the Most High. He's the son of God. Luke calls him Christ the Lord. Lord was the name for for God himself. He's the fulfilment of all the ancient promises and prophecies and they've been waiting for centuries for him and he's come and he's mixing with sinners. He's come and what's he doing mixing with these people? I wonder, do you remember the wait for Harry and Meghan's wedding? You know, there had been the build-up in the media for months leading up to it. And then the day comes and the TV crews are in place and you have to wait a bit more, don't you? And they have all their commentary trying to fill time as you wait. And then at last, royalty arrive and they arrive at Windsor Castle. And imagine this, they can't see the Queen. Where's the Queen? She can't be seen among the royal family. She can't be seen among the celebrities. And the TV crew, imagine this, they scour Windsor and at last there they find her sitting on the curb next to a homeless beggar. And she's sharing a drink with him. And not just any old homeless beggar. This is one who's well known to spend his begging money on drugs and spit on any passerby who doesn't give money to him. That just doesn't happen, does it? But it's nothing compared with the Son of the Most High mixing with these sinners. Now, I purposely added that he spends his begging money on drugs and spits on passers-by. Because we can think, Jesus mixed with these people. That's good. That's right on to mix with down and outs, who through no fault of their own are excluded. But look again at Luke 5. That is not what is happening here. Jesus is not mixing with down and outs. He's not mixing with people who through no fault of their own are excluded by others. Who was he mixing with? He's mixing with the rich. Who are excluded, but it is by their own fault. Because they were cheats. Because they used their power to get money out of poor people. I reckon the equivalent today would be loan sharks. Jesus was mixing with the loan sharks of his society. See, when we, when we read the word sinners, it doesn't mean fallen on hard times but well-meaning. It doesn't mean mischievous but cute. It means people who are wrong at heart, who are twisted at the core of their being. And the Son of God, the Lord of glory, came for them, came for us, if you recognise that that's you. I is the most important word here. It all depends on who it is who came. Here's another way I is the most important word here. Because repenting would be pointless if it were not for who Jesus is and what he was about to do. He calls people to repent, but there's no point repenting if it were not for who Jesus is and what he was about to do. I'll illustrate it like this. Children, do any of you go to swimming lessons? Yeah, I bet some of you go to swimming lessons. And have you done the swimming lesson where it is um, how, what you do if someone's fallen into water and is in trouble? 
And it goes something like this. They get the children to turn up in their pyjamas, and there's a child in the water in their pyjamas pretending to be in trouble and calling out, help, help. And there's a child on the side with a rope, and the child on the side has got to help the one in the water in their pyjamas who's pretending to drown. And watch carefully. What happens is the child on the side throws in the rope. Did you watch carefully that? Throws in the rope and shouts, grab the rope, grab the rope. Now, I'm told that that happens every time. What, what went wrong there? What did the child do wrong? The child throws in the rope and says, grab the rope, grab the rope. Well, I hope you all know what went wrong, but I'm told it happens just about every time. They throw in the whole rope and they expect the person in the water to grab the rope and then do what? Swim to safety. Of course, they need someone who is going to pull them into safety, don't they? It's no good having someone just tell you, grab the rope and swim. You need someone who's going to pull you in. And we need not just a man in history who tells us, turn, turn from your sins and sort yourself out. We need a man we can turn to because he can pull us into God. We need a man who can deal with all that past sin and forgive us. Who can deal with what we're like now and change us. We need someone who doesn't just say to us, come on, grab the rope, but someone who will pull us in to God. And Jesus is that man. In our verse he said, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. A little later on he said, I have come to seek and to save what was lost. Not just to tell them how they can do it, but to save them. A little later on he then said, I have come to give my life as a ransom for many. And so he went to the cross and he died so we could be forgiven. And he rose from the dead so we could have the Holy Spirit renew us. So we're not just like the child in the water, grabbing the rope, a little bit of help to struggle out. No, he is alive and he's able to pull us into God. Today he's alive and today he's still calling sinners to repent. And he's calling you now. He's calling you now to give up your virtue signalling show of righteousness. He's calling you now to admit you're a sinner and you need him. He's calling you now to repent. And there's a welcome. And there's love. And there's forgiveness. And there is renewal for any, any who turn to him. Will you? Let's pray.